Welcome to Six Weeks of Soul Care with Meg Lacey Vega and JJ Vega. We are living through a strange time of isolation and anxiety as we hunker down at home during the coronavirus pandemic. Some of us find our schedules empty with canceled plans and lost jobs and nothing to do. Others of us are having the exact opposite experience as life and work and school all collide under one roof. Whichever end of the spectrum you find yourself, it seems that we are all seeking new ways of surviving, of thriving, of sustaining ourselves, and of nurturing our souls in this new time. That is what six weeks of soul care is all about. If you are jumping in for the first time, this is week two in the Soul Care series. Last week, we discussed becoming present, how we can be more fully in the here and now in our daily lives, and how that enables us to connect more deeply with ourselves and God and one another. And this week, we are jumping into our second topic, wearing skin. JJ, thanks for being with us. And why don't you go ahead and get your comments out of the way about the name of this week's theme. It's my deepest joy to criticize every single name that you come up with. So don't mind if I do. It does sound a little bit apocalyptic. A, Maybe a, a little, little horror bit movie. Zombies yeah. wearing skin. This did not even occur to me until you said this. And then I was like, oh. Oh, no. (laughs) That's just the way my brain works. Um, But yeah, wearing skin, being in a body. And I got to tell you, I spent some time this afternoon reading some articles and just trying to get my head in the the right space for this. We could do an entire series about this one topic alone. It's a complex subject. It is. And we have a mere 20 minutes. Do you think we can do it? We're going to (laughs) try. Okay. (laughs) Let's do it. So to start with, I want to pose a question to you. Okay. Do our bodies matter for our spiritual lives? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask the Gnostic Christians, then the body is a barrier to the rarefied spiritual states that we aspire to. Um. I think there's a little bit of a spectrum. If you look at different spiritual traditions and even within Christianity itself, there's the Gnostic side that says the body is bad, it's evil, it's low, and it's something to transcend. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have spirituality that is deeply embodied, deeply grounded in matter, material, this life here. And I think the message there, and really the message in the heart of Christianity, the way I interpret it, is that the body isn't something to be transcended, but something to be resurrected. And mm. I think that's that's my jumping off point. Yeah, I think that dividing that dividing line um, goes back even even before Jesus, but certainly all the way to Jesus, and um, even in Paul, like. 
just like in the Christian tradition, there are multiple viewpoints. I think we often point to Paul. I have pointed to Paul <laughs> and kind of blamed him for the the interpretation that I got as a teenager that was like sex is bad so your body is bad so everything about your body is not spiritual like sort of that idea of the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit and that we want to be spiritual people not fleshy people and in a lot of ways that kind of damaged my relationship to my body and also my understanding that spirituality could be embodied in a particular way and Paul does say those things in Galatians and in Romans. But then in 1 Corinthians, he says out of the other side of his mouth, your body is a temple and the spirit is dwelling in it. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to go to a temple or a sanctuary to be with God because God is in your body. And then we have the complication of Jesus and the incarnation that like God comes to us in flesh. In a body. Right. A vulnerable right. body with a heart and lungs and blood. Aches and pains. Fatigue. And then what does he do in sort of the quintessential moment um, before he dies on the cross is he breaks bread and he says mm-hmm. to the disciples, this is my body, take and eat. So even in the most um, simple ritual of Christianity in communion, it's at its essence about bodies, about us taking in God's body and us becoming the body of Christ, right? Absolutely. And something I wanted to point out too, you had mentioned um, how reading Paul from certain passages and certain interpretations can lead you to believe that the body is bad. We have so many other sources of shame around the body in our culture and in our individual experiences. So, so hear me say this. I think that the body is deeply important and a foundation to healthy spirituality. But the body is a source of pain and trauma and guilt and shame for so many people for so many reasons. So I want to hold that tension equally as important as the healthy, deeply spiritual aspects of being in a body. Right. And even like there are times that we resist being present or being silent because it feels uncomfortable. Like we're uncomfortable sort of in our interior selves. Right. And I think there are also times we resist the spirituality of the body or the body's role to connect us to ourselves and God because when we turn toward our body, we feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, the body holds all of our emotional wounds. It's, it's a living record of all the experiences that we've had in our lives. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a complicated subject. Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. So we've mentioned Paul mm-hmm. and we've mentioned the incarnation. Um, any other scriptures or teachings that come to mind for you? We've mentioned the Gnostics. Yeah, we've mentioned the Gnostics. Um, there is a story in Elijah, and I think you had pulled something up about that. First Kings 19, uh, which talks about Elijah being fed by the angel. And I think you could probably provide some context to that story. 
Yeah, it's a story that I don't think many folks are familiar with or would recognize, but it comes right after a story that we'd probably all recognize if we grew up in church because we heard it in Sunday school. And that's in 1 Kings 18. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to ask them to build an altar with a bull on it and asks them to ask their God Baal to send fire and then no fire shows up and so they continue to make it more and more challenging and then eventually um, Elijah builds an altar for God and he builds a trench around it and he tells them to dump water on it and then he asks God to send fire and God does but in the next chapter Elijah is in the wilderness and he's tired and he wants to give up. He says, like, just let me die. And instead of answering him, God sends an angel and the angel says, eat, and then brings him water and says, drink. And then he says, rest. And then he rests. And then the angel says the same thing again, eat and drink. And the angel tells him, you won't be able to do the next leg of the journey if you're not nourished. Like the angel comes to care for Elijah's body. And often when we're talking about God coming to us, we're not thinking about it in quite that tactile of a way. Right. We're thinking explosive insights and wisdom and guidance. But, you know, the message that I hear from this angel is first things first. Let's get you rested. Let's get you nourished. Then you'll be ready for the next step. Yeah. Sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Survive. Right. Two other scriptures come to mind for me when we're talking about the body and Christianity and spirituality. Um, Genesis 1 is an obvious one, right? Beautiful. God creates humanity and God says that humans, just like all the other creation are indeed good, um, that we're created, our bodies, in God's image, right? And that from the very beginning, our bodies have been claimed as good. So even before the incarnation happens, God has already said, hey, I've created this, and this is whole as it is. It started whole. Right, right. Um, And the other that we haven't mentioned yet is the Gospel of John. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, right? Or as one translation reads, and God moved into the neighborhood. But it's <laughs> the like quintessential idea of the incarnation, that the word of God, that God takes on flesh. And if there was ever any doubt that flesh could be good and holy and sacred. And a sign of presence. Right. God comes to be present with us in a body. It's just right there yeah yeah anything else come to mind for you that we need to mention about scripture i think we've covered a lot okay plenty for folks to digest so my next question is about um your experience and i'll share a little bit about mine too sure of kind of coming into the idea that the body is a part of spirituality i think Uh, We grew up in really different spaces, and you didn't grow up in the church, but both of us had kind of negative images about our bodies as not good, like essentially, at their essence. So for you, what shifted that? What experiences did you have with your body that reframed that for you? Well, without um, getting too deep into my story, I just had some bad experiences 
where Christianity and the body intersected. But I started noticing things shifting for me when I started moving. So my first really quintessential experience was back in 2010 um, when I let go of having a car and I just started biking everywhere. I was outdoors constantly. And there was something about that movement that really seemed to open up something for me. And I felt just very connected to the presence of God, even before I had language or tradition to help me articulate what I was experiencing. So fast forward to the military. I tested a pretty high score on my uh, entrance exams, but I got put into a construction field. At the time, I was really upset about that. Um <laughs> Because who joins the Air Force with dreams of glory and high-paying technical fields and wants to wind up digging ditches? But that's what happened. And it was a deeply spiritual experience in ways I couldn't describe. I mean, literally in the desert, using hand tools to dig holes and being connected to the sweat and the blood and the tears and being connected to the other people around me in a way that only shared physical experience could facilitate. And there was huge growth there. And by that time I was getting into church, I was starting to get into the Christian tradition and finding that deeply earthy body language that helps support the insights I was having in my experience. Yeah, yeah, for me it was a similar kind of awakening. Um, and it happened during seminary and I was spending a lot of time reading and writing and, um, feeling kind of like all that existed of me was my brain. And there was this yoga studio that was literally six houses down from my house. And I just started going there to this like donation based class on Fridays And I just found myself on my mat feeling like it was the only time I could pull out of my brain. And as soon as I did that, I felt reconnected to the present moment and I felt reconnected to God. Mm. Like I felt like I was losing my sense of connectedness to God because I was studying scripture in this very academic way. And it seems like that should draw you closer, but it has kind of the opposite effect of like demystifying it and making Mm. it a science instead of an experience. And so there was something so holy for me about that Friday yoga class. And that was the beginning of a long journey toward yoga for me. Like I still, yoga is an essential part of um, my daily life. And I've done yoga teacher training and I've taught in various seasons in different ways. Um, But it has become, I think, for me, a moving meditation. And it was the first time that I started to let go of some of those ideas about my body that I didn't even realize that I had internalized, but that like the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. And that what really matters is my heart and my mind and God doesn't care so much about my body. And that process of being on my mat and moving, even while I was in seminary and learning, um, became this space where I could open up and be present with God in a different way. I could move and meditate and feel fully alive and fully loved in a way that I didn't ever encounter when I opened a book for class. It's interesting how the body rides this intersection between 
the unknown and the things that we can't control when we're fully present to our experience and the total safety of warmth and touch and being known and being loved. And I think when we take God and we put God into books and lectures and classes, there's an important component to that type of knowledge. And I don't want anyone hear me bashing the academic institutions um, because they have their place. But I think we can believe that we're in control of the experience mm-hmm. of God. When we can put God into our thoughts and we can put him on the page and we can define God in the ways that make sense to us, when our experience comes back into the body, it gets a little dangerous and it gets a little uncontrollable, but then it gets a little bit more mysterious. And that's when we can open up to something that's bigger than ourselves. Mm. And other traditions have long celebrated this in ways that um, I think it's taken Christianity a longer time to relearn. Like I'm thinking specifically about native traditions, indigenous Mm -hmm. peoples and the kind of tribal, um, the drumbeat that mimics your heartbeat and how that is what brings people into community and into connection with each other and with the earth and with God. Movement and dance. Mm -hmm. Richard Rohr in his men's work references indigenous peoples and their rites of initiation. They're often very Mm body-based. And for them, those initiation rites, those physical rites are an initiation of a young person into adulthood and the human being into communion with the divine. Mm -hmm. And not that this is an end in itself, but there's been all kinds of research on the ways in which we hold our bodies, affecting our physiology and our emotions and our self-regulation. Amy Cuddy did a TED Talk way back in like, I think 2012. Ancient times. Right. (laughs) About um, power poses. And like Mm -hmm. when we stand in certain poses, it actually re-regulates things in our brains. And so when we stand in ways that are taking up more space, we immediately have a deeper sense of self and sense of groundedness and sense of power. And when we give up our space, the opposite happens. So there's all of this now scientific research kind of behind why I think people went back to those practices over and over. They might not have been able to name that these things are happening, but they really are shaping um, our deepest sense of selves just in the ways that we stand and move and dance and Mm -hmm. exist in bodily form in the world. Absolutely. I also feel like this is a particularly hard topic to talk about during COVID Mm -hmm. because There are a lot of people right now that haven't experienced physical touch in a really long time. And we know that physical intimacy is a part of what helps us be healthy as human beings. Yeah, you know, I I see, especially in the service realms, caregivers, um, social workers, folks that really rely on physical presence in order to take care of people, that being disconnected from those fundamental abilities to touch, even to place a reassuring hand on someone who's suffering, really robs us of the ability to offer the presence of Christ to others. So it's, again, we're in a season where what's been taken from us is actually an opportunity for us to see what's important. So when we talk about 
practices, spiritual practices of embodiment, one of the first that comes to mind, I think, for most of us is um, having physical contact with others that is loving, that is communicating God's love. So a hug, a touch, a handshake, a passing of the peace, also service with others that um, when we are feeding and clothing and loving our neighbors with our physical selves, we are a part of the incarnation, that our bodies become the body of Christ in the world, God's hands and God's feet. But I think there are other practices too that maybe are a little bit more accessible to this season of isolation. So what are some of the practices that we can enfold into our daily lives? We are all about not creating you know, new things for people to have to do, but what can we do as a part of our natural rhythms that help us be in our body and use our body as a place, truly as a temple, as a place to connect with God, the spirit of God that lives in us? There's certainly ways to practice being present and having the body play a key role in that. So meditation, yoga, going for a run, um, working out in your garden, planting trees, doing these really tangible practices can have a powerful effect on presence. But I'm guaranteeing that most of you wash dishes. So you could take a page out of Brother Lawrence's book, uh, who we talked about in the last podcast as well. And he was famous for practicing the presence of God using his hands, washing dishes, something simple. He just brought a little bit more awareness to it. Yeah, I think that things that are tactile, ways that we use our hands, um, working in the garden, cooking, baking. Everyone is cooking right now, right? Like we are cooking meals for our families and doing a lot more dishes than we're used to doing. Uh, because we're all eating at home so much more. There's a meditation that I read somewhere. It might have been in one of Shauna Nyquist's books, but kind of an invitation to um, use cooking dinner as a tool to connect with God. And so it talked about you could turn on music if you want, or you could have quiet if you want, but picking up each item and smelling it mm-hmm. and giving thanks for it. And then, you know, cutting your peppers into slices and then cutting your potato. But like after you've picked it up and given thanks and that every time you find your mind wandering off, like you would do in any meditation, coming back to what's in front of you, to the piece of food that you are cutting or stirring and giving thanks. And I think there are ways we can do that when we work outside, when we walk outside, I think walking is the simplest embodied practice. And so often we walk without thinking much about it and we walk so quickly. And we think, 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 think while we're walking. We aren't feeling our feet on the floor. We aren't feeling what it's like to move our knees or our hips unless they're bothering us. We aren't thinking about even our posture and all of a sudden waking up to a few of those little things when you're walking from one place to another can be an invitation into the body, into connection with God. I'm a big fan of the breath. You guys are probably going to get really tired of hearing me talk about the breath because it's going to be every single podcast. If you can take even one breath, one slow breath before you move, before you engage in any activity, that will bring you back to your body and to bring you back into the present moment. And it's simple. It's not adding anything extra onto your experience, just being a little bit more aware of something that's already right under your nose, literally. Yeah, I think also 
rest is important. Like that's a way that we care for our bodies. That's a way that we notice that we have bodies, that we are embodied beings, not just heads, not I think therefore I am, right? right? But that I am an embodied person, that my soul exists within my body um, is resting and just paying attention to the needs of our body. We are so used to just kind of cranking through things. And as I was having a conversation last week with a friend, she was asking me, you know, what I had gained or learned in this season. And I talked about work being a more fluid concept for me. When I'm working from home and I'm working mostly at a computer, I just can't sit there from nine to five. So all of a sudden work becomes, okay, I'm going to work for three hours and then I'm going to go for a walk and then I'm going to work for three hours and then I'm going to go cook dinner and then I'm going to come back and do a little more work. All of a sudden work has become so much more fluid, but part of that is because I'm way more attuned to what my body is saying it needs because I just can't, like my neck will hurt if I (laughs) keep staring in one direction for the entire day. So noticing when we're thirsty, noticing when we're hungry, noticing when our body says, hey, go lay down, go take a 20 minute nap. Or when our eyes are like, please stop looking at a screen. Like our body is talking to us all day long. And I think a huge way that we can see our body as a an entryway into connection to God is just to pay attention to the mm-hmm. natural rhythms of our body. Like God created us this way for a reason. And when we not only accept those limitations, but come to love those limits and see them as sacred, that becomes a way that we... We rest in God. Nature is cyclical and seasonal, and so are our bodies. It's one of the ways that we are, as a Christian community, subversive to the larger culture, is that we don't succumb to the idea that I am what I produce. Right. That God said, hey, there's Sabbath, there's this day where you rest, because I rested, and rest is good. And it doesn't matter how many bricks you have to make, then you stop and you breathe. And that's when we remember that God is God and I am not. Thank you for tuning in with us for this conversation about wearing skin, about how being embodied can be a spiritual practice, a way that we care for our souls in the midst of our daily lives. As one of the youth said in Sunday school this week, I feel like my body is a source of connection to God. When I get in touch with my body, I'm in touch with the God who created me. However you come to this conversation, Whatever your relationship with your body, as friend or foe, as portal or blockade, receive these words of blessing from Jan Richardson. This blessing takes one look at you, and all it can say is holy. Holy hands, holy face, holy feet, holy everything in between. Holy even in pain, holy even when weary, in brokenness, holy, in shame, holy still, holy in delight, holy in distress, 
holy when being born, and holy when we lay it down at the hour of our death. So open your eyes, yes, holy eyes, for one moment. See what this blessing sees, this blessing that knows that you have been formed and knit together in wonder and love. Welcome this blessing that folds its hands in prayer when it meets you. Receive this blessing that wants to kneel in reverence before you. You, yes, you are a temple, a sanctuary, a home for the living God in this world. Special thanks to Ryan Corbett for our beautiful music, and of course my beloved husband, J.J. Vega, for joining me on this project. You can find more information about Tabernacle and the Soul Care Project at tbcrichmond.org.